Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. I'm sorry, it hasn't changed since the last time you listened, but I'm glad you still keep coming back. This month, you know, is all about caring for our communities and my passion to believe that when we do well in business, when we do well in our professional lives, it means that we're taking care of ourselves personally and taking care of those around us. So as we focus on caring for our communities, all of my guests have something different to share. Now, as I talk about my guest today, you're going to be really impressed with her background because she has worked for some of the most iconic brands in the world and held incredibly powerful positions. But she also has a very personal story to tell that is also a part of what she is uh, expressing in, in her book, which I can't wait to read. So let's uh, get right to it. Emily Chang is the CEO of McCann Worldwide Group China. And prior to accepting her new role, she took a year off, which is always smart, to write her book called The Spare Room. It was the topic of her first TEDx talk. And before that, she has held, like I said, some incredible positions. CMO for Starbucks China, where she cared for the teams that helped open the first Starbucks roastery outside of Seattle and commercialize the brand's digital gifting strategy and delivery programs, which we all know we've benefited from, especially in the last year and a half. <laughs> and Lotus, who is uh, highlighted in Chapter 5 of her book, lived with Emily's family while she worked at Starbucks. Hmm, there's some themes here. She was also uh, and has been a strategic business leader. She has over 20 years of experience. And, you know, prior to Starbucks, she was the chief commercial officer for IHG, Greater China, where she looked after 320 hotels and an extended team of 5,200 members. And while she was there, her family cared for five kids, including someone called Tio, who is recognized in Chapter 4. I'm just going to give one, a couple other little highlights. She moved to China in 2011, where she led the marketing organization that established the face of Apple retail in Asia Pacific. So are you getting a theme here? She knows how to do things on a big scale with big, big brands. But there's also another theme here. While working at Apple, Emily's family cared for three young people, including Jason. I think I'm uh, hopefully pronouncing that correctly, who is highlighted in Chapter 3. And she first developed her general management, marketing, and brand expertise at Procter & Gamble. During that time, five young people shared her spare room in the 11 years that she worked there. I'll tell you, today she is on boards of directors. She is uh, giving talks all around the world. She's motivating people, obviously, from a leadership and business standpoint, but I think most importantly, from how we help each other and connect as communities. So, Emily, joining me from Shanghai today, thank you so much for being my guest. Michael, that was like a wonderful walk through the career. Thank you. <laughs> it is amazing. It's so fun to read people's bios. I have this, I feel like I've, I've got this like a strange desire to read everybody's bios because it's our opportunity to tell the things that really tell a story about us and our careers, but it, they also tell a story of our personal lives and what's important to us. And I love how you weave that through not only your bio, 
that's the focus of your book. So I get to some of the highlights. Do you know? Help us in your own words. Tell me a little bit about you, what you're doing today, how you help people to shock their potential, and and then let's dive into your book along the way as well. That sounds great. I think the first thing you'll have heard in in your introduction is that for me, it's never been about work-life balance because balance, if you've ever seen kids on a teeter-totter, implies you've sort of hit that perfect moment where you're right 90, you know, 90 degrees to the sky. And that's never happening really when it comes to work and life. So for me, it's really about work-life integration. Mm. And as I've gotten older, one of the things I realized was I had an opportunity to better integrate my personal life with my professional, meaning we'd always had these kids in our spare room and it was something that we certainly didn't hide, but certainly didn't really bring to the forefront either. So everybody who worked with me through the last couple of years will have met one of the spare room kids because we bring them to work. We'll bring them to, you know, when we take um, business trips and the family comes, our spare room kids comes too because they're part of our family. Mm -hmm. And so it's not something that was unknown. But I don't think it was an actual thing. We hadn't talked about the spare room as a thing as much as, oh, this is so-and-so who lives with us, or this is so-and-so who's staying with us for a while. Right. And as we as we identified the spare room as a social offering to our community, we started to realize that talking about it isn't really about ego, because that's my biggest fear. I never want to talk about myself or or risk somebody saying you're such a good person, because that's not the point. And that is also very much not true. Rather, we really embrace the idea of talking about the spare room with a TEDx talk and then, you know, taking a year to write the book. And I say we, because it, all of this was very much a family endeavor because yeah. we believe this builds into our community. It pays tribute to each of the people that we've had the privilege of sharing our spare room with. And hopefully it's inspiring other people to say, you don't have to do very big things. You can do something that you are especially designed to do that will actively support and build into your community, however you define it. I, I love that on so many levels, um, especially when you say, look, I don't want this to be about, hey, aren't I great? Look at what I've done. It's really about just a natural extension of something that felt right to you. And so as you did it and then you said, well, hey, this is just the way our life is. It makes it just a, a, a truly beautiful um, extension of what what your value systems are. You know, that you that you kind of find this path between what you believe in and how you live your life and and then to share it with people, I do think helps people to understand that we can do things. We don't always we can't always think that we're gonna do exactly what that other person does because maybe I can't do that. Maybe I don't have a spare room, maybe I am not trusting of other people, but maybe there are other things I can do if I think about what's important to me and what aligns to my values. Exactly. In fact, last night I had a conversation with somebody who is so anti-plastic. She goes to great lengths, invests a lot of her personal money to make sure she's anti-plastic in all that she does. And this is her thing. And she was asking me, sort of imploring me, how do I convince people about the damage of plastic? How do I tell people why they shouldn't be using water bottles? And I kind of paused, and I think that's a little bit of what makes the spare room paradigm different because I said, you know, I don't think it's the best use of time because we all have limited time and resource to try and convince somebody else of your thing, your, your offense. Everybody will come into it on their own. And one of the things I started to think about is, in fact, last night, based on this conversation is if everybody starts identifying their offer, what it is we uniquely bring to the table, and everybody starts identifying their offense, which is the thing that really rubs them 
done the wrong way, the thing that among all the other injustices we come across in the course of a day that calls to their heart, do we start creating communities that go after improving their communities? Meaning you don't have to convince people who don't understand the negative impact of plastic on our environment or who frankly don't care. Rather, spend that investment of time and passion and heart by going after meeting other people who do. And then what could you guys unlock by partnering and finding each other? Yeah, and that is such a great point because we seem to be in our world today so um, so fixed on and fixated on convincing someone else to believe what you do that you're right. There's a lot of energy involved in that that doesn't have a lot of good payoff except for frustration on both parties. In fact, it's interesting because I actually have been talking to a media producer um, here in the greater Philadelphia area about kind of an idea of some segments. And we've been bouncing around for a while. And my, my thought was bring people together with two opposing ideas but don't have them try and convince each other. Have them required to ask each other good questions that aren't trying to you know, trap them. They're, not, they're trying to understand the other person's viewpoint because until you can understand another person's viewpoint, you can't have a logical discussion anyway. But I love what you're saying is that it's really about just finding your own community that matches and building and making that healthier and stronger and, and more positive. Absolutely. You remind me, I did a talk a few years ago called The Power of And, and it's all about the power of paradox. Mm -hmm. And there is a god called Janus. If you've seen the image of him, J-A-N-U-S, you can look him up. He basically is looking two different opposite directions, right? At the same time. And it's this interesting idea of how do you take two ideas that seem incongruent and find the mutuality in the middle of them? I think that's really powerful. Yes, it is. And I love that. I studied ancient mythology in in college. So as you said that, I'm like, yes, that's such a great way. Because if you're looking in both directions, you're also open to different perspectives. And there there comes the end. Yeah, exactly. So what what, um, prompted your first, you know, person staying in your spare room? How organically, how did that, how did that happen? And then how did that become a passion to continue to invite people to be in that spare room with you? I love that question because it wasn't intentional. And I think sometimes we look at people who look like they've arrived, however we define that, Mm -hmm. and it looks like they have it all together and they had this intention. Sometimes it's not. I, I would like to say I live with as much intention as possible today, but I'm 45, right? 20 years ago, I did not intentionally stumble upon somebody and just my heart went out to her. And I thought there's a homeless girl sitting on the side of the curb who's clearly clearly just been beaten up yeah. and she needs a safe place. I didn't even think overnight. Like I, I was just thinking as far as let's get her in the car, let's get her dry, let's feed her and let's see what we can do to help her. And and I think, Michael, that's an important point, which is it doesn't always have to be intentional or some grandiose gesture. Sometimes it's your heart saying, I can do something about this. And it yeah. might feel really small. And if you had asked me that night, would you take a teen prostitute into your home for four months? I'd be like, I, I don't even understand what you just asked me. Yeah. Wait, what? I'm sorry. <laughs> right. So, so we are, I think there's another lesson there, which is we're capable of so much more than we can possibly imagine. But if we don't have to go after the grand gesture or go after the fully designed, well-orchestrated, intentional 
purpose-driven thing. And we just say, what calls to our heart? What helps us feel like we're doing something positive and that gives us energy? And it doesn't feel like we're sacrificing or shrinking our lives, but rather something opens up in abundance. When you find that moment, then you've hit on something where you can naturally add value to your community. Again, however you define your community and it grows with you, which is the sort of magical part of it. Yeah, it, it made, reminds me of a gentleman, and he's actually um, on uh, this uh, series for October as well, and I interviewed him several months ago as well, and I wanted to have him back. He had been um, climbing Mount Everest, and he met, and he, you know, got very friendly with one of his guides who lives in Nepal, and after, after this trek, he went to their, you know, to this man's village, um, because he got invited, and he's like, heck, why not? And yeah. now he runs a nonprofit that helps um, fund special projects for that community, but it's not, they aren't projects that he decides, oh, hey, I think you guys need, you know, a new, you know, water uh, treatment, you know, hey, I think you guys need high speed internet. He says, he asks the elders in that community, what do you need to keep your community flourishing? And they meet and they discuss and they came back. The first thing they said is, we um, only have room in our school for children to go up to the second grade. And we would like our children to be educated further, but we don't have enough room. We'd like to build an additional um, portion of the school. So it's like, okay. And so they built a, more schools so their children could have a, for, a further education. And it's really important to him that it's not his decision. It's what uh, they want, but it calls to him. And it's just every time I talk to him, I'm just, I'm just in love with the fact that he does that. It calls to him, but he's so mindful of it not being his thing. You know, he just feels like he's a good conduit to helping. I think that's a great point, too. I, I don't talk about this very often. And, and somebody recently corrected me because I've made sure that I can never tie my ego to the spare room. I've given away all proceeds. And that's what I always said. And she she stopped and listened because she's like, wait, no, you don't give away all proceeds. You're giving away the full retail value of every book. And I said, yeah. She's like, that's not proceeds. And I'm thinking, I'm the CEO of McCann World Group. I probably should have known that. <laughs> yes, she is right. So I need to think about how to rephrase that, but I want to give away the full retail value of every book. And, yeah. and what that means, it's, it's a contribution. It's not just sort of, I break even and then I give profits. And when she said that, I was like, yeah, I, I haven't thought about that for an entire year. But the point is you want to position yourself in a way to maximize the value contribution that you can leave in the place around you. But you also want to design it so that you don't risk falling into the ego trap. I think that's a really easy thing to do. And yeah. we know ourselves, right? We're humans and we fail all the time. And so how do we like close those traps around us? One of the things very early on I did was I declared that I was giving away everything. So I, I still have to figure out how to say that. It's not just the value of the book, but I want to give it all away so that whenever we promote the book, I can unabashedly do it. Because if I were making profit on the book, I would never be able to talk about it. You, you know, it, it would just feel really uncomfortable. But I right. know that I get to share a principle that I think is useful to the world. And I know that everybody who buys it, all the proceeds go to SOS. And therefore, there's no ego in it, right? I love it. I let it go, just like the gentleman you were just talking about. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. And I think that's a really great reminder from somebody else to say, hey, remind, you know, just remember that this value is greater. And it's good to talk about the greatness of that because it makes people say, well, wow, then, you know, where's that going? And what are you doing? And how are you continuing with good from the good that's the basis of it? Right, right. 
I love it. Well, gosh, Emily, we could keep talking about that forever. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor, and we will be right back. Top Dog Learning Group, LLC, is a leadership, change management, and diversity inclusion consulting firm based in Orlando, Florida, but with top doggers, aka consultants, throughout North America and beyond. They focus on training programs, both virtual and face-to-face, keynotes and lunch and learns, group and one-on-one coaching, and off-the-shelf solutions. One such solution is their masterclass on the top three strategies to be resilient in times of change. This thoughtful self-paced online training will guide you through three tactics you can use immediately, not just to survive, but to thrive when change comes at you. Use the code RESIL50OFF for 50% off the program. Just go to bit.ly forward slash 3A5M LS6 and enter the code RESIL50OFF in all capitals to redeem your 50% off coupon. The link and code will be available in our show notes as well for easy access. Learn more today at topdoglearning.learningworlds.com. And we are back with Emily Chang and uh, we are talking about the spare room and also, uh, you know, a little bit about, you know, your background and, and the, the excitement of, you know, you've obviously worked for some major global brands and been very committed to making incredible developments in uh, new areas for these global brands. But it seems to me in, in everything we've talked about that the things that you're most proud of, and I don't mean pride from ego standpoint, I mean proud because you know that you're following your heart is this sense of how you give back. So, you know, tell us a little bit about the format of the spare room, the book. Um, you know, did you just tell a lot of stories? I haven't read it yet, obviously, and I need to. But is it is it something that's going to, you know, help us not only get an insight to maybe some of, uh, you know, these people who have been in the spare room, but also encourage us to take our place and help our communities in ways that feel right for us? Yeah. Again, I think when we talk about community service or CSR, sometimes it feels like something that has to be sacrificial. I don't have time for it. My life is too busy. I don't have enough as it is. I think that fixed mindset is, again, human nature. But Mm. if we take an abundance mindset, let's think bigger. Our family has a formula that we have over the fireplace mantle, and it's super simple. It basically says, contribution over consumption has to be greater than one. We want to contribute more than we consume. We want to leave something more than what we've taken from this world. And, you know, when you think about the the regrets before dying, nobody says, gosh, I wish I took more. Nobody says that. They say, I wish I had more time with my family. I wish I pursued my passions. I wish, I wish, I wish. Well, we're in this moment now, whether you're listening and you're you're in your late 20s or 30s or, you know, whether you're at your midlife like me, you Mm -hmm. say, I don't want to look back and say, I wish. I want to look back and say, you know what? Well done. I'm happy with how I invested my time. So how do I intentionally live my life such that my contribution is more than my consumption? And so the format of the book, I, you know, I spent my first 11 years at Procter & Gamble. So it's written in very much a self-reflection, action-oriented mindset. Mm -hmm. I don't like to waste time and I love books, but you know, sometimes you end up, you close a book and you think that was great. I don't know what to do about it. And you know, before you even brush your teeth, you've forgotten about it. Mm -hmm. I don't want that to be the case. And in fact, somebody said recently, I love the spare room movement. And it really just took me off guard because I thought that's it. I don't want this to be a book. I do want it to be a movement. And that's why I'm so clear about trying to 
separate it from ego or self, because if this can become something that's good for the world, that says this helps people articulate how they contribute more than they consume, that is something that I would feel really good about. And I I do believe people are good. You know, there's the rare exception, but generally we want to contribute more than we assume, consume, but maybe we don't know how. Or maybe we don't know where to direct that attention. Or maybe we don't know what it is we have to offer. So the construct of the book, Michael, is super simple. It's a Venn diagram. And people who've worked with me will know, I think very much like an engineer. That's my background. So it's all in Venn diagrams or X, Y axes. It's very, very dry. I understand. But in this case, it's a really simple model. So on one hand, you've got your offer, which is what it is that you uniquely contribute. And the end of chapter one really unpacks very specifically so that by the end of it, you will be able to articulate and align. Here's what I offer. And how empowering is that in many ways to just say, I know what I offer. Okay, cool. And then the second chapter talks about offense, which is of all the things that happen, whether it's plastics or whether it's animal rescue or it's sex slavery or or it's vulnerable children in my case, everybody's got a thing. So what is your offense? And by the end of chapter two, you then lay out what is your offense. And then chapter three just takes together those two circles and looks at the intersection of that Venn diagram and says, okay, if you know your offer and you know your offense and everyone has got one, everyone is special. And, and I think that sounds so millennial, but it is so true. It's so true. We are not created to be mediocre and just breathe oxygen and die. Who believes that? We are created to be unique. And, you know, I will argue with anyone who thinks otherwise, because there has been a number of um, stuff I've been listening to lately that's like, we're not all special. Some people are very ordinary. And I'm like, that's so depressing. That cannot be true. I know I'm an optimist, but I also believe that everyone comes with this very unique DNA that makes their offer unique and they're called to something unique. So the intersection of that thing even more has to be unique. And when you find that thing, again, it's very empowering to say, this is my social legacy. It's even more empowering when you get into like chapters four and five to say, what's my action plan? How am I going to make this thing happen? Who is my tribe? Who's going to hold me accountable to this thing? And then, you know, the last part of the book is about what do I want to look back on and have people say about me after I've passed? And I know that sounds extreme, but I've always believed whether it's at work or at home, Defining the end state helps you become much more intentional with your time, with your priorities, and with your investment. I I agree so much. And it's interesting because as you were talking, I was trying to figure out, you know, where, what's really calling to me because there's been some things calling to me now. In the last couple of years, I've been very committed to, um, my entire team is in Kenya. And um, and that it's, it's kind of a funny story how it ha- happened. But, you know, and I haven't even been to Kenya. But my whole team is from Kenya. And now we actually have a second company where we place people in Kenya with other small businesses like me around the world. And, you know, so we're making these great matches. We're providing great employment. We're providing opportunity for other small business owners. And we're, we're changing a few people's lives along the way. And yesterday I interviewed someone for the podcast for this month as well. And she's from Kenya. And she was talking about how her passion is these young people in Kenya who can't afford to go to school. And she said, I, you know, I want, I want them to go to school. I want them to go to, I want them to be able to have the funding to go to school. And her project is helping them write their life stories or write their story, or it doesn't have to be their life story, but write their story, have a book and sell the book to fund their education. And I've been thinking about it ever since I talked to her. 
I'm thinking about how important education is in my world. And, you know, the, the sense of having everybody have the right and the ability the opportunity to be educated is really important to me. But until we started talking, other than me trying to figure out how I can help her with our, you know, bookstore that we have through my company, I'm like, there's got to be a way. Now this is really kicking into gear for me. Like, okay, well, what does this mean then? It keeps calling to me over and over again. So I think that's what you're saying is figure out what's calling your name and then figure out how you're going to help solve that offense or that challenge or that problem. Yeah. And if there's a last thing I'd add on to that is there's power in words. I say this to my daughter all the time, right? When people say to themselves, I'm not good enough, or I can't do this, or I hate this. I keep saying there are power in words, but there, there are also positive, there's power, positive power in positive words, which is if you can clearly articulate, what do I want to do about this? What do I offer the world? It, it's a little countercultural, right? To say, I'm good at this. But who are we to diminish what we're good at? Because yeah. do we, nobody wants to be mediocre and nobody believes they were truly created to, like I said, breathe os oxygen and die. So if we want to define the things that we're good at, look, if it makes us feel better, we can balance ourselves with the things that we suck at, but <laughs> let's embrace the things we're good at and yeah. say, okay, now that I know that and I embrace it and I call it my own, what do I want to do with it? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And then that's where the action becomes your movement, the spare room movement. I love it. Uh, Emily, obviously, I could talk to you all day about this. I think it's um, I do think you have a great movement here. And I think it's it's uh, it is inspirational. And uh, I love what you're doing. And I know we're going to have all your contact information on the show notes, including the links to your book, because all of your retail uh, proceeds of the value of your book goes to help support this movement. But uh, in case somebody wants to look you up right now, what's the best way for them to find you? Well, go to the website. It's social-legacy.com. And I'm always on it, tinkering with it. I've designed it from scratch. So that's quite a fun experiment in and of itself. You can find me on socials at The Spare Room Book. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Emily Chang 8621. And it's a little bit different because that's my professional um, blog. But everything else is just The Spare Room or Social Legacy. You can find me there. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. I love it. Well, before we go, Emily, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? I would say nobody should do nothing. <laughs> it's like a double negative, which I used to hate, but nobody should do nothing and nobody wants to do nothing. So feel empowered, even if you do a small thing. And one of the things we just added to my website on the community page is stories that didn't make the book. Mm. There are some really small stories. And even in the book, there's some stories you would argue are not the kinds of things that people win the Nobel Peace Prize for, but they're damned impressive. <laughs> and people came from very ordinary, very young age, very kind of lower level career um, status and said, I think I can go do something about this. And they changed the world for somebody or a hundred people or a thousand orphans, you know, and, and who knows what it is that you are called to do, but yeah. you are, you are especially designed to do something because no one's here to do nothing. And if you change the world for one person, it, it's just as powerful as changing it for 100 because you've changed one life and you don't know how many they will touch along the way. Yeah, I think, okay, that's my second thing. Yes, the ripple effect is so much more powerful than we give credit for because we often don't see the outside ripples. But mm -hmm. I, I feel like in many ways, I've been so lucky in my life because I have seen so many ripples where I'm like, wait, 
you know so-and-so who knows so-and-so who, who was the person who lived in my spare room 18 years ago? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so when you start seeing those ripples, like your, your positivity really does grow exponentially. And I just hope everybody who does take a step, you start seeing the impact of the ripples, not just the impact of the one person or the one community that you invest in. I love it. Emily, thank you so much for not only sharing your story, but sharing your mission and reminding us all that, uh, so we have a spare room within us. We just have to uh, open the door and see what's on the other side. Thanks so much for joining us today. Perfectly said. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees and sales mixology. Why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.